Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As disciples of Jesus Christ, repentance is one of the greatest tools in our toolbox. We actually have the wonderful opportunity to go before our Heavenly Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit and acknowledge where we went wrong in our thoughts, words, or actions and, inasmuch, grow closer to God in the process. In light of this amazing opportunity and privilege, do you have a lifestyle of walking in this joy of repentance? Let's open our Bible now and learn how we can grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ and be a better disciple of His as we increasingly walk and mature in biblical repentance. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus and growing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I believe this is what the ninth teaching, Stephen, on uh, on discipleship um, and on a disciple of Jesus Christ is the name of the, the name of the teaching. And we're going through uh, a, a curriculum if you will, of, uh, of, of how to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And today uh, we're doing part two of, of repentance. Um, I don't know exactly what the title will be, but it's, uh, it's part two on, on repentance. And today we're going to be discussing uh, a lifestyle of repentance in the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ, meaning that throughout our day, we, we ought to be practicing the discipline of repentance, right? We ought to be going before our Heavenly Father, going before Jesus, going before the Holy Spirit in prayer uh, and in repentance and in, in simply acknowledging the, you know, the areas of our life that are, you know, that are out of place, whether it be in our thoughts, our words, or in our actions, um, confessing that. Um, and, you know, and asking the Lord to, to help us to walk in a more upright and holy and proper way before him. Um, the goal of our lives is to be more and more like Jesus. A disciple of Jesus Christ is an a, apprentice of Jesus, right, Alicia? It's someone, again, who's spending time with Jesus on a regular basis, someone who's growing to know Jesus, someone who's growing to more and more be like Jesus and certainly someone who's growing to obey Jesus in, in every aspect of their life, whether it be spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, or relationally, we want to live our lives like Jesus and everything we want to do and say what Jesus would have us do and say, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you, Father, that we, that we are disciples, that we can be disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you, our God, for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for entering this world that you created and, and living a, a perfect, righteous life on behalf of humanity, Lord, when it was us who went bad. It's, it's us, Lord who threw this world into sin. It's me, Lord, who threw this world into sin. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for, for entering this, the perfect world that you created in creation and in redeeming mankind, Father. We just thank you, Lord Jesus. Again, we thank you for living a, a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. 
We thank you for dying a torturous death on the cross that we, that we should have died. And we thank you that you are alive and risen and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for all of your goodness and favor on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us now. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, again, the entire series is called A Disciple of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm going to read Matthew 18, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so there it is. There's the command. Again, Jesus didn't say go and make Christians, although we, you know, we have to be a Christian before we can be a disciple. We have to have received Christ as our savior before we can be a disciplined follower of him. And he didn't say go and make churches. Okay, although going to church is a good thing, right? Uh, being involved in a good, sound, Bible-based church is, is a good thing. But when you make disciples, you always get church, okay? Um, when you make church, you rarely get disciples. And again, that, that was a quote from somewhere. I don't know who said that. It's a famous quote or a well-known quote that said, when you make churches, you rarely get disciples. But when you make disciples, you always get the church thrown in, right? So our, our, our goal is to first be a disciple of Jesus, to be a disciplined follower of Jesus in every aspect of our life, and then to help others be disciplined followers of Jesus. And having a lifestyle, a growing lifestyle of repentance is really an essential part of that, okay? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we want to walk in what, what, what I am terming the joy of repentance, a term um, that I'm calling the joy of repentance. What I found in my own life as I've walked with Jesus now, you know, 25 years, is that, you know, I'm convicted more and more as I walk with Jesus over the, the areas of my life that are out of place. You know, beginning in my thought life, you know, I can consistently, you know, have thoughts that, that are not in line with Jesus. It's not how Jesus would think. I can, I can allow myself to be frustrated, to be irritated. Um, you know, I can, uh, I, I can be very impatient in my thoughts, right? Um, I can be agitated. Um, again, I can just, I can allow my thoughts to go to a place you know, that are just not healthy. They're, they're, it's, it's not biblical. So the first place that we actively repent over having a lifestyle that's not like Jesus is, again, in our thinking. That's the beginning of repentance. All repentance begins, all of it begins with changing the way we think, okay? Before we're Christians, we have to repent of our unbelief. We repent of whatever we were believing that's not consistent with the Bible. We repent of anything that, that we believe that's contrary to the Bible. We repent of our unbelief and believe the word of God, which tells us that our God, Jesus, became a human man for us, lived a perfect life for us, died a torturous death for us, and was raised from the dead. And we believe that. We believe the gospel. We believe the good news 
of Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? That's the beginning of repentance. Again, and even as a lifestyle, repentance begins with acknowledging, you know, that, that we are thinking the wrong way about any particular matter. And as we change the way we think, it drives us to change the way we act and behave and speak. So again, um, but repentance in general is going to begin with, with a level of contrition, uh, uh, a humility. It's humbling ourselves before the Lord and just acknowledging in a, in a contrite and humble way um, you know, that, that, that we're out of place in, in whatever areas of our life that are out of place. So let's look at Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. David speaking, he said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Okay, so what is a broken and contrite heart? Again, it doesn't mean that you're walking around sad and beat up. It doesn't mean that you're saying, oh, I'm just this worthless sinner. You know, right, Chris? Uh, that's not what he's talking about. It's just, it's, it's, it's a heart that's a, a broken heart is, is, is a surrendered heart, right? As again, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the term or the phrase, the joy of repentance. I haven't heard anyone else use it. Um, uh, hopefully it has been used in other places, but, but, but generally when we think about repentance, we think of it as something, man, I feel sorry. I feel beat down. I feel just beat up. Oh, I'm terrible. And that, that's not, that's not what the Lord's heart for you is in repentance. Certainly, we ought to be convicted of our sin, but there ought not be condemnation, right? The Lord's not condemning you. There ought not be shame. He's not shaming you. There ought not be guilt, right? But we ought, what we ought to experience is genuine conviction that, you know what, th these, these thoughts are not proper that I'm thinking, okay? These words that I've spoken are, are, are not in line with the word of God and the son of God or whatever actions in our life that are out of place, whatever behavior, whatever selfishness, whatever self-serving behavior we're walking in. And all of us have it, by the way. Every human being in the world and every Christian in the world still has things out of place. And that's where we come to this joy of repentance. Why am I calling it a joy? Because again, although I'm convicted and I'm grieved at a certain level that, that, man, this behavior isn't right. I'm excited that I see it, that the Holy Spirit has given me eyes to see it, that I understand where my thinking is out of place or my words or my actions, and that I know that when I repent of it, I know that when I go before the Lord and acknowledge it and ask him to forgive me and say, Father, I'm sorry, and I ask him to help me to do better, I know that I will grow closer to Jesus in that. You see that, Benny? You'll grow closer to Jesus, Lens, when, when you have a growing lifestyle of repentance. And that is something to be excited about, Tom, right? It's, I mean, we're excited that we can grow closer to Jesus. And a lifestyle, Lauren, of repentance will help us to do that. Now, now understand, this has nothing to do with being saved. It has nothing to do with going to heaven. OK, um, uh, you know, we're forgiven of our sin from a salvation or a justification or a or a redemption standpoint. All of that is done by what Jesus has done on the cross and by us simply receiving it. Right. John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, Jesus, 
to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, we're saved from our sin. We're forgiven of all our sin, past, present, and future, not based on anything we do. Our repentance doesn't, doesn't forgive us, okay? Forgiveness comes only from trusting and receiving Jesus Christ, from trusting in what Jesus has done on our behalf and in our place is the only way that we're forgiven of our sin, delivered from what would be an eternity in hell, separated from God, um, and the only way we go to heaven when we die. Nothing we do helps us in that. We can't add to what Christ has done. Um, so again, beginning to have this lifestyle of repentance as, as, as disciples of Jesus starts with, with, with a surrendered heart, a humble heart before the Lord that, again, simply acknowledges where we are out of place. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We've used this scripture consistently, right, Scott? 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land, okay? Now, again, this is in the Old Testament, but it's the word of God. So certainly it has application, you know, for, for all people, for all eternity, right? It has application to, to, to all people, okay? Um, now, again, when I say all eternity, obviously when we go to heaven, we're not going to have to to repent of wicked ways anymore. But for all time that there is time for all people, while they're all people on the earth, until Jesus comes back and there's a new heaven and new earth, this scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, applies to us. And it's an immense scripture, May. Okay, let it hit home. And, it, and you notice it's a, an if then. It's a cause and effect. If my people who are called by my name will humble this, themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What does that mean? If you don't do these things, then God the Father won't heal your land. Okay? Now, in the life of a believer, uh, someone who has genuinely received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're trusting, relying, clinging to Jesus alone, knowing they're hopeless and helpless without him. Um, for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. We still undergo forgiveness, but forgiveness, you know, takes a role in our life. It has nothing to do with being forgiven of our sin regarding going to heaven, but our heavenly father forgives our sin and in as much relents from having to discipline or punish us as much as he otherwise would or will if we don't repent. And if you think about that, if you think about your parents when you were growing up, um, right, Wendy, if you think about, you know, your own children and, and how you, you managed your own children, you know, your love for them is unconditional. Your love for your children is certainly unconditional, right, Rap? But, you know, when you discipline them, when you punish them for when their behavior was wrong, if they had a contrite heart, if they showed contrition, right, Becky? If if they if they if they acknowledge their wrongdoing, then certainly you know the discipline was not as severe as if instead of them just being just completely just rebellious 
and contrary, right? When our children or when we were, were just completely contrary to our parents, just utterly rebellious, then there can be no doubt that the discipline has to remain and it has to increase with our children, right? Um, again, if you have a son or daughter that, you know, you're just, you know, and they're, let's say they're 10 years old and, you know, they're just obstinate. They're just willful. They're just completely rebellious. They're just saying, no, you're going to continue to discipline them until they, you know, until they repent, until they acknowledge that they need to change that behavior. No rational parent would do anything different, right? We just don't allow our children to be outright rebellious, utterly disobedient, and just say, oh, okay, go ahead, do whatever you want. You know, it's going to be okay. I still love you. I'm not going to punish you. It's it's nowhere to be found in our in, in our in our psyche, right? It's nowhere to be found anywhere in our right mind. It's the same with our heavenly Father. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, so it begins again. Repentance begins with just again humbling yourself before the Lord, and and just acknowledging, you know, whatever area you're out of place. Okay, and again, it's there. Throughout my day, I probably practice repentance, I don't know, one, two, or three times. And it's not for like five minutes. It may be for 30 seconds. It may be for a minute or two minutes. But just going before the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, I, I really, you know, Lord, I know that I'm not spending enough time with you, Lord. I do want to spend more time. I ask you to help me, Lord Jesus, and forgive me that I'm just, uh, you know, I'm distracted throughout my day. I don't, I don't have those times of focus in genuine intimacy with you that I would like to have, Lord. And I, and I do humble myself and I ask you to, to forgive me. Now, again, it's not about just saying the words, I humble myself, but just being genuine and going before him. So you notice there, there are areas of our life, we, we call them sins of commission, things we do wrong, and sins of omission, where, where there are things we're not doing, okay? And it's not even always sin right? I mean, it's not a sin to watch a football game. It's not even a sin to watch 10 hours of football. But, you know, if, if we're watching 10 hours of football, okay, on a Sunday, and I do enjoy it, and we're in the playoffs now, right? And I mean, I'm, I'm a big Cowboy fan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. And, and it's important to me. It, it really is. I confess it's more important to me than it ought to be. Way more important. But I mean, you know, I can get absorbed in that, and then I can miss times of, uh, of intimacy with the Lord. I can miss times of prayer and thanksgiving and worship and praise and repentance. Um, and so, you know, it's just simply going before him and humbling myself. And the example I'm using here would be, Lord, you know, I, I do ask you to forgive me, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I do enjoy my football, Lord. And I, you know, I, and I like it. But at the same time, Lord, I do confess that I, you know, I, you know, I haven't been giving you the time I ought to here, and I, you know, the, the last few days or weeks or months or whatever it is. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. In repentance, again, we ought to be seeking here the face of Jesus, the face of our Heavenly Father. As I said last time, oftentimes, Nathan, right, we're, we're seeking the hand of God in prayer, right? We're consistently going before our Heavenly Father and asking for things in prayer. And we're told to do that. But if we were candid, right, if we were frank, if we took an honest evaluation of our lives, the vast majority of our prayer life, I'm going to say whatever, the 90 whatever percent of our prayers are us asking for things for ourselves, 
or on behalf of our children, our families, or other people, right? Here he says to humble yourselves and pray and seek my face. Just just seek Jesus himself. Just look to be with Jesus. Just look to have conversations with Jesus and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So again, repentance is an act of turning, turning from doing a 180 from whatever, whatever behavior, whatever thoughts, whatever words that you were doing and turning 180 degrees to line up with what Jesus would have you to think and how Jesus would have you to speak and what Jesus would have you to do in literally every aspect of your life, okay? We say in every aspect relationally. That means you want every aspect of all of your relationships, beginning with your spouse, your children, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your family, and then certainly all your colleagues, all your friends, and then people you don't even know, right? You want all your relationships to be in Christ, and you want to navigate them in Christ. So when you see a particular relationship um, or a situation in a relationship that's out of place, then, then you look to repent, you look to bring it, you know, under Christ. If you're in your marriage today, right, Pop, and you just, and there are problems in the marriage and, you know, you just see, you know, just issues that are out of place. You look at your own life and you just see, man, where am I, you know, where am I not acting as a husband should act in this, right? And you, and you repent, right? Um, you, you know, if we are, uh, you know, Kristen, right? If you're in your marriage with Nathan and you're just, uh, you know, you just see there are areas of your life that where you're not acting as a biblical wife should act, or, you know, or as any person should act toward any person. You know, you just look at that and you go before the Lord, you humble yourself and you turn, right? You turn, you do a 180, right? And you begin to, to confess to the Lord, Lord, you know, I ask you to forgive me for just you know, in whatever the particular way, you know, Lord, I haven't been respectful to my husband. I, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've been very contrary, Lord, and I've been argumentative, Lord, and I've been just, uh, Lord, I've just been ugly and, I, and I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me, Father, and I ask you to help me, Lord, to, to be respectful to my husband, even when I disagree with him. And again, I'm just giving examples here, okay? Obviously, here's my point. We all have these areas in our life that are consistently that come up where we're not thinking and speaking and, and acting in, in Christ-like ways. All of us, from those who are just in the beginning of discipleship to someone like myself who's been doing this for 25 years and I got, I have an embarrassingly long way to go to other men and women of God who've been doing it for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, right, Alicia? All right. You turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So again, in repentance comes healing. I've said this before that repentance is, man, the greatest tool in our toolbox because we're simply admitting where we missed it. We're admitting where we're wrong, uh, beginning with the Lord and obviously then with other people. When we make mistakes, we can repent to our brothers and sisters in Christ or just where we've made mistakes. We simply say, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. So we want to have this lifestyle with, with, with our heavenly father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and then with others, okay? But daily throughout your day, you ought to have a lifestyle of repentance going before 
going before the triune God, going before either your heavenly father or the Lord Jesus or the Holy Spirit. All right. Look at, uh, look at Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. This is Jesus speaking. This is the risen Christ. This is about 50, 60 years after his resurrection and ascension. He's talking to uh, the church at Ephesus. And again, this is a New Testament church. We're around 80 to, 80 to 90 AD, right? Um, we're well into the, into the church age. And Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. He's talking to the Christians at this church. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What is your first love? Our first love is always Jesus. Uh, really, every one of us can repent over this and repent over this almost daily, if not daily, that, you know, uh, he had complimented this church for the things they were doing well. But then he says, yet I hold this against you. You were forsaken your first love. They had had more what I called last time churchianity than they did Christianity, right? When we're involved in a church and it's good to be involved in our church, it's good to be serving in church, it's good to be serving the body of Christ. But, and this is, this is an issue with the church. This is something that we have also failed in uh, as churches and ministries is that, you know, we can easily slip into the fact that serving the church or serving the ministry can become more important or more central than serving Christ. Okay. The church exists for us to serve Jesus. Jesus doesn't exist to serve the church. Okay. Does that make sense? The church exists to serve the disciples. The disciples don't exist to serve the church. Our first love is for Jesus. And almost all of us as churches and ministries can look and we can really see where, you know, where our heart can get caught up in advancing our own church, advancing our own ministry, right? When our heart needs to be for the advancement of the kingdom of God, the son of God, Jesus, and the gospel of God, okay? Uh, there aren't going to be any churches or ministries in heaven, Okay. For those who didn't know that, we're not going to have all the little thousands of, of church buildings in heaven. Those won't be in heaven. Um, we're not going to have all these separate ministries in heaven. These churches or organizations or ministries are given to us to help us, but they're, they're a temporary thing to help equip disciples of Jesus Christ who are doing the work of discipleship and the advancement of the kingdom of God, the Son of God, and the Word of God. So again... The church exists to serve the disciples, okay, to equip the disciples. But in our culture, things have changed. Most of the time, everything's about serving and advancing the church when it ought to be the church serving and examining, uh, serving and, uh, you know, equipping the disciples. And so it's important. You have forsaken your first love. Our first love is Jesus. We can be involved in all kinds of service, but not doing it unto Jesus, okay? Our first love is Jesus. Our first love is not ministry. Our first love is not church. Um, our first love certainly shouldn't be ourselves. 
or even others. Our first love should be Jesus. Look what he tells them in verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Think back. And that's kind of a hard word. Remember the height. Okay, so we want you to actually think back into your life as to where you went wrong and where you went bad and where you stopped really, you know, having Jesus as your first love and being excited about Jesus and talking about Jesus, right? And for many people, they would say, I don't know if I've ever been at a place like that. So, so we repent. Look what he says. Repent and do the things you did at first. Apparently, their issue was not about their belief. Their belief apparently was in order, right? At other times, right, we read where he says, repent and believe the good news, okay? Here, he doesn't say repent and believe. He says, repent and do, okay? So it was their actions that were out of place. Repent and do the things you did at first. So, Again, if there was a time in your life where you were serving Jesus or you had a heart for Jesus and a love for Jesus and that was driving you to do things for him, then, and you're not living in that now, so he says simply repent. Just go before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I I ask you to forgive me where I have forsaken you as my first love. I'm sorry, Lord. Jesus, I do want to get back to where you are my first love and where I'm excited to walk with you and serve you. And I ask you to help me to do that, Lord Jesus. You simply repent. You go before him. You ask forgiveness. You talk to him. You have a conversation with him about it. And look what he says here. And this is interesting. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. We can't lose our salvation, okay? It's not about, you know, there are consequences in our life. Our, our heavenly father is not going to throw us out from being his son or his daughter, okay? We can't be, be kicked out from being a child of God, okay? But there are consequences. Here he says, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. The lampstand burned oil. The lampstand gave light. Um, you know, the oil represents power and anointing. And, you know, there, there really aren't many lampstands left in the world. We may have some individual lampstands, meaning we have individuals and certain disciples that, that are walking in, in power and anointing, and, and we can see that power in their lives. Um, but as far as churches, there really isn't, you know, there's nothing, nothing even compared to what we saw in the early church. When you read the book of Acts and you see the power and the anointing um, that came from a church where Jesus really was their first love. He says, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. He's not talking about their salvation there. He's talking about just his gifts of power and anointing that he empowered the church with, right? All right. Look at Proverbs 1, verse 23. Proverbs 1, 23. This is, this is amazing here. Proverbs 1, 23 says, if you had responded to my rebuke, if you had repented, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. This is a pivotal scripture. This is a scripture I want to speak about more and more and more and more. Proverbs 123. Let this, let this sink in rap. Look at this, Susan. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Here and in this verse, may we see the joy of repentance, if we see it anywhere. If you had responded to my rebuke, if we will begin to respond and repent, right, 
and, and really understand where the Holy Spirit is, is showing us and convicting us over, over the areas of our life that are out of place. If we respond to that in repentance, simply humble ourselves before Jesus or our Heavenly Father or the Holy Spirit, acknowledge whatever area we're out of place. Again, whether it be relationally in any relationships, whether it be financially, any way financially, you're not lining up with the Word of God. And we're going to get into that in upcoming teachings on how we're using our time, talents, and money. If there's any way emotionally, right, where we're not in line with the word of God or spiritually over phys- or physically, and there are many ways, enjoy, we repent. Because he says, if we had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Can there be anything greater than that? That if we will respond to the Lord and repent in the areas we're out of place, and we begin to have a lifestyle of doing this, Lauren, day by day, he says, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. What can be better than our Heavenly Father pouring out his heart to us and making his thoughts known to us? The clear implication, right, Jesse? Right, Stephen? The clear implication is that when we refuse to repent, When we don't respond to his rebuke, he does not pour out his heart to us, May, and he does not make his thoughts known to us. So do you see this incredible tool, Chloe, for for opening our minds and hearts to to the mind and the thoughts and the heart of our Heavenly Father and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit? You see that, Ian? Golly, man, I love this verse. This is where the joy of repentance comes in. This is where you want to have a lifestyle daily of just continuing to to be excited to repent. Because when you respond, he says, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. It just makes me want to repent, Stephen. It just makes me want to respond, Kristen, right? Wow. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So again, if you have a lifestyle of just going before the Lord, and this is not talking about confessing before a priest or another person, although that's certainly a good thing to do, okay? Um, But he's saying here, if you have a lifestyle of going before God in repentance and confessing your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, again, this is not talking about your salvation. This is talking about, you know, forgiveness and purification in your walk with Jesus so that you walk with him more intimately, so that you know him more intimately, so that you experience him more deeply. Do you have a lifestyle of going before the Lord in confession, right? Wow. James 4, 7 and 8. James 4, 7 and 8, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, just where we're double-minded, just areas of our life. And again, the deeper we, we walk with Jesus, the more we see, you know, little areas of sin in our life, in our thoughts and in our decisions. We start to see the the more selfish aspects of our life. We see how really self-centered we really are, okay? And we, we begin to repent over, over deeper things instead of just crude, obnoxious, you know, terrible behavior, 
right? Like, you know, when, when, when we get, when we get mad and raise our voice in an argument and, and yell back at our wife or someone, obviously, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's just behavior. That's obvious that we need to say, I'm sorry. And we need to repent over. Right. Um, but you know, the more we do this, you know, um, the deeper we go with Jesus, the deeper we go in him showing us areas of our life that he's refining, right? And we become refined in our faith. And the more our faith is refined, the more the impurities are removed, the more he purifies us from unrighteousness, as he said in 1 John 1, 9. Um, the more we, we wash our hands, again, the more we're going to experience him in a, in a deep and intimate way. Um, but this starts by submitting yourselves then to God, right? Again, just humbling ourselves before him. Wow. Look at Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I don't know if there's anything I want more than my heavenly father than mercy, okay? He who confesses his sins does not prosper, but he who but whoever confesses and renounces them, repentance, finds mercy. So again, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, just, you know, the, the sinful areas of your life, you go before him, you acknowledge the sin, you say, Father, I, you know, I ask you to forgive me, and, uh, and I do ask you to help me. I don't want to behave in this way anymore. And you will find mercy, and he's going to pour out his heart to you and make his thoughts known to you. He'll help you to walk more intimately with him. He'll help you to walk out of whatever this this ungodly behavior is in your thoughts, words, or deeds. And in as much, you're going to start to know him more. You'll start to experience him more. And Jesus will become more exciting to you. Is there anything more exciting than walking more deeply and intimately with God, with your heavenly father, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, meaning desiring them more, experiencing them more, right? Wow. Now, also, we ought to have a lifestyle of you ought to have some some brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, where, you know, where you have accountability, right? Where you're you're able to confess, you know, uh, ungodly behavior and thoughts and words to others. You ought to have a few brothers and sisters in Christ. You ought, you know, as mature as you are, right? Similarly walking with you. Um, you know, where you can share the areas of your life where you're, you know, where you're messing up, where you've made mistakes. Look at James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The more that we have a lifestyle of repentance, the more, again, enjoy. Again, we shouldn't be beat down. We should be convicted. There ought to be some grief there. But enjoy, right? Again, it's not saying we're not happy that we sin. That's ridiculous, okay? We're convicted that we sin. It does bother us. But then we know that, you know, we know that the more that we we confess our sins and look to walk out of them and to walk more deeply and intimately with Christ, the more powerful our, our prayer will be. Look at this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So again, you ought to have brothers and sisters in Christ. Those, again, hopefully more mature than you are, that you're able to share the areas and pray with them over the areas where you're, you know, where, where, where you're, you're not doing well, where you are, where there is some, 
some sin in your life, where you're falling short. And again, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you have this lifestyle, the more refined this will become. You'll, you'll start seeing deeper things inside of you that will grieve you, okay? Wow. All right. Um, let's look at uh, Revelation 3, 19 and 20. And now we're going to wrap up here. Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Jesus speaking. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Let, let, that, let that sink in, Esther. Those, Jesus speaking. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Hold up. So be earnest and repent. That's not the Jesus we really want. Right, Gerald? This is not the Jesus we want. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I rebuke and discipline. You see how Jesus is speaking? He talks like he's the one paying, right? He did pay, Scott. He paid it all. Jesus created this world, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, right? For all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him, and in him all things hold together, right? I believe it's verse 17. Um, Jesus created the universe. He created the world. He created the earth perfectly. He created humanity with no sin. Then we went bad, and when we went bad, he himself entered the world that he himself created to redeem the world from the sin that we brought into the world, okay? He owns everything, okay? He's done everything, okay? He not only created the world, but then he redeemed us. He redeemed humanity from the sin that we brought into the world. And he says in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. We're told here very clearly that the love of Jesus manifests in rebuke and discipline may. This isn't a fun scripture, but if we can see the joy of it, he says he's doing it because he loves us. Every single one of us as believers in Jesus and disciples of Jesus undergoes this rebuke and discipline, right, Sujit? Let's turn to... Uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. My, my man Sujit was, uh, was excited about his verse in Hebrews 12. And let's look at uh, Hebrews 12. It says, uh, look at verse 5. We'll start reading in 5. Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Okay, now let's go down to verse, verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines, for us, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Here's verse 11, Sujit. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see that, Sarah? Sarah is a Sujit sister, young woman of God, incredible, reading her Bible, studying her Bible. Wow. Yeah, 
Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you want to begin today to have a lifestyle of being earnest in repentance. Earnest just means genuine. Be authentic. You know your heavenly father knows. Jesus knows. The Holy Spirit knows every single thing we think and do. So nothing's to be hidden. So in freedom, right, Lisa? Uh, just in freedom, Johnny, go before him. And, uh, you know, just begin, Mandy, just to, just to confess, you know, just to say, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And again, it's not about feeling in a certain way, okay? Repentance isn't a feeling. It's a, it's a turning. It's a changing of your mind, right? Like you do desire, you know, to, to, to be better, and begin having conversations with the Lord. But again, know that it's supposed to be a joy. There's a, a joy. The joy is not that we're doing something wrong. They're not to be joyful. That's ridiculous that we're in sin. But joyful that we, when we know that when we repent, when we're earnest in repent, when we know that, that Jesus disciplines us and rebukes us. And again, it's hard. So when it, whenever we're dealing with hardship and struggle and difficulty and you know, we, we ought to see where, you know, at some level we are being disciplined and rebuke. It's not a gumball machine, but, you know, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And, and again, the more earnest we are, the more repentant we are, the less we'll undergo rebuke and discipline. Okay. He's not doing it just because he wants to. He's doing it where it needs it. Just like we as parents, as I said earlier, you know, we only discipline our kids and punish them to the extent that need be. We don't enjoy doing it, right? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We ask you to help us today, Father, to be, uh, to be repentant disciples, Lord. Help us to learn this joy of repentance. Help us to be earnest in... Uh, in having a lifestyle, in walking in this joy of repentance. Lord, I ask you to help us to be convicted, to be genuinely grieved in, in the areas of our life that are out of place, but to know that when we come before you, Lord, that, uh, you know, that you will pour out your heart to us and make your thoughts known to us if we'll respond to your rebuke but with a lifestyle of, of repentance. Hmm. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this incredible gift of repentance. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to, again, to give us eyes that see Jesus, ears that hear him, hearts to understand him. Seal this to our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we would begin just to increasingly grow and mature and taking time to really see, to remember, as Jesus told us in, in Revelation, to, you know, to remember where, we've, where we have fallen. Lord, forgive us where we have forsaken our first love. Mm. And, and, and help us, Holy Spirit, that, to have a, a growing lifestyle. Drive us, we pray, to a, a growing lifestyle of, uh, of biblical repentance. Help us just to have conversations with you, Holy Spirit, and with you, Father, and with you, Lord Jesus. And again, to increasingly walk in this joy of repentance. Father, we love you and bless you. We commit this time into your hands. We commit our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name.
Amen and amen.